From the hills of central New York in the heart of the Finger Lakes, this is Frankly Speaking. I'm your host, Frank Rossi. My guest on this episode should be a familiar name to listeners of this fine podcast. It's Jim Copenhaver, president of Palooza Corporation, the recognized golf industry thought leader for key issue identification, intelligent analysis, and actionable insight. Pellucid offers a variety of digital products to enhance your golf business. And more importantly, as you're going to find out, are now the weather-adjusted golf playable hour source for the National Golf Foundation. An irony not lost on my longtime pal, Jim Copenhaver. Golf courses are more profitable when there are no impediments to play, such as too wet for carts or soft, mushy playing surfaces. Keeping your course conditions firm and fast requires excellent infiltration and drainage. When it comes to best-in-class soil amendment services, Dryject leads the pack. Dryject sand injection services increases infiltration and allows for deeper rooting and better drainage by top dressing, aerating, and amending in one pass. Contact your local Dryject service representative or visit dryject.com. Well, whenever I'm talking about the business of golf, I'm usually talking to one, sometimes two people. If I really want to hear a curmudgeon, I'll get your partner on here, Jim. But for now, I'll just do with the old Marine who's applied his skills from the consumer packaged goods industry uh, into the golf business for the last two decades. I think that our paths have crossed. And, and Jim, I'll start out right with the question if we had this conversation three years ago and the pandemic wasn't coming, you and I would probably be celebrating how we didn't lose as many golfers as we did the year before or presiding over the general decline in interest in golf. And in short, golf was in trouble before the pandemic. Let's start there. Would have been a much different conversation. As you mentioned, I've been at this 20 years now, and I came into it just about the time that, you know, we were doing the build a course a day thing and participation had peaked and rounds started declining. And those two things intersected for almost 20 years. Yeah. And every time you and I've gotten those conversations, it's been like, how do we keep from losing more? But boy, what a difference a pandemic in three years makes people probably know on this podcast, it's kind of like rounds have turned around. We've now uh, eclipsed 500 million rounds. We were trading at about 450, 460 for most of those 20 years. The participation rates are up. Uh, rates are firming. And there's general interest, economic and financial interest in golf again outside. So equity firms are now taking a look at the industry once again. Real estate development centered around golf are happening. I mean, it, it's just a completely different discussion than you and I have had. Yeah, that last little bit is a bit shocking. That would have to be a real niche thing in real estate out of the gate. Although with the prices, uh, maybe it's you're already jumping ahead. <laughs> we've already <laughs> we've already gotten to the end. So listen, let's first for the people who may not have listened to the other seven or eight years you and I have been chatting on this fine podcast. First off, let's take out one of the things that I know you've pioneered in addition to the demographic stuff, but the golf playable hours and how that's impacted by weather. So let's start with how that decline or any growth or decline is always calibrated for your customers 
by what their expectations should be based on playable hours. I would shudder to think maybe you do know. Do you know how playable hours have played out over the last 20 years or so that you've been using them? Have you ever done any sort of historical trends on playable hours? Are they growing in some areas, shrinking in others? What was the general rule about how much time we could potentially have to be playing golf over the last two decades? Yeah, I mean, if you take it over that long a time period, playable hours is going to attenuate and flatten out. I mean, our weather partner... When we looked at what should we use as a normal, when we say what's a normal year, they said generally a 10-year span will get rid of all the significant ups and downs. And they said if you wanted to be really conservative, take 20. So let's just take your comment. Across the past 20 years, we haven't seen any appreciable – I don't know the number off the top of my head – we haven't seen any appreciable swings. Everybody talks about climate change and the rest of that. Yes, we get it, and it's warming. But, I mean, we're not seeing in particular geographies over a 10- or 20-year period of time, wow, it was incredibly favorable or incredibly unfavorable. Over that length of time, it's going to attenuate. But of more interest to our readers and to your audience is, I mean, we do track within each individual month and year, you know, so let's just go back to the last three great years. We went from 433 million rounds in 19 to 493 in 20. And so the obvious question that begs when you pick up 60 million rounds in one year is how much did weather help you? And the fact of the matter was weather was up like 2%. So that's like a 14% increase in volume against a 2% increase in weather in golf playable hours. That's organic growth in the game. Mm -hmm. And the flip side of that, and I'll let you have a word in itchwise here. The flip (laughs) side this year is Our grounds are down 5% through July. Our golf playable hours are actually down 8. So what it says is, even though our rounds are down this year, 100% of that is due to weather fluctuations that we can't control. So we're actually having a pretty good year in 22. But, you know, people, when they just watch the rounds, aren't going to see that. Okay. Well, if we liken rounds, Jim, to maybe bushels of corn, since I know you're a Midwestern guy, Um, You know, obviously more bushels of corn is a good thing, but let me check on some of the numbers here. These round numbers, do they include those played at private clubs or is it just public golf? Nope, that's all of them. That's all of them. So there's a tracking system. So everybody across the board is seeing more golf. And I'm assuming, because I've seen both sides, it's happening equitably in country clubs versus public facilities? Yeah, if you had to throw a blanket over it, it's benefiting slightly more private clubs than public facilities. And part of that was due to what happened during COVID, which has been a great boon for the private industry, is people were trying to find recreational activities that were secluded. So number one, you put you on a golf course, it's like there's seclusion. You put yourself in a private club, now you're on a golf course with 350 other people, Mm -hmm. max. So the private club industry did really well. A couple of things, the membership numbers in rounds went back to pre-COVID levels and slightly above. And now you've got waiting lists and they're charging initiation fees again. So it's just been all sorts of benefits that have accrued to the private club industry. But in rounds, it's only a slight edge to private clubs versus public facilities. It's largely been widespread. People want to play golf. I know this might be a question more for Stuart. 
But I'm going to ask you, I think you're right about private clubs, lots of waiting lists. Some of them were lower initiation fees. Some have restored initiation fees. But I think the bigger question, Jim, and I think this transitions in the COVID end that I know you've talked about is, okay, we got them. You got those 60 million more. You you convinced me it's not because of the weather. I might need a little persuading that the seasons aren't a little bit longer because I think they might be longer. I don't know if that actually matters in sort of how long the season is, but let's just stick with, we got them. Are we going to be able to keep them? And then we'll get to the salient question is economic headwinds, but let's just start with how are we doing keeping them, whether we're keeping them at a country club or keeping them in a public setting? That's like a four layer (laughs) hour long question (laughs) that we're going to answer in in two minutes. here. So if you think about the growth, in rounds, there's two components. One component is our existing players played more, and the other is we attracted new people. And what we've been able to determine through a couple of different studies and triangulating is about two-thirds of the growth in rounds came from the current franchise playing more, and only about a third of them came from new golfers to the franchise. So the first myth that we need to dispel Mm -hmm. is, you know, the industry cheerleaders were out there saying (laughs) our growth is all due to new golfers. No, it's not. We got new golfers, which is a a revelation. (laughs) We haven't had a net increase in the golfer base in decades. So it's like, let's celebrate that, but let's not get ahead of ourselves and think that those people came in and played 20 rounds in their first year. They didn't. So the first distinction is the bulk of our rounds growth is coming from existing golfers versus new golfers. So does that mean that they're not as hard to keep? Well, the good thing is those rounds should be easier to keep because those are people who are already familiar with the game and the skill level that's required to enjoy it. So we tend to deflect fewer of those people who are in the franchise. Then the folks who come screaming in, you know, buy a set of clubs, they're all enthusiastic about it until they get out there. And the lesson I've learned the hard way over 40 years is it's hard to get significantly better in this game. It really is. It really is. So to your point, that's insulation for us. That's actually good news that the bulk of our rounds are coming from the existing because they are easier to keep. And we're still failing miserably, in Jim's opinion, and those newcomers were failing miserable and getting them up the skill curve and the fun level so that we're keeping a significant number of them. There's still a lot of them that are bouncing off. So then the question that I think I've always heard you guys talk about is keeping them means engaging them and engaging them is multi-layered in itself. You yep. know, I represent and a lot of our listeners are parts of conditioning. One of the things that I think has been good and bad is that people are back and that traffic is good, but it is putting a lot of wear and tear on the course. Labor's hard to come by. Are we going to be able to sustain that keeping them? Is Even though they're used to the toil of it, are there other parts of it? Is You know, the hospitality part of it went completely away for a period of time. How much does yep. the course conditioning and the hospitality to a certain extent impact the overall way we're thinking about golf moving forward? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and your folks are integral to the core of this. So let me talk about it. Uh, And you and I shared in the latest Outside the Ropes newsletter, you know, there's three components to the equation for the consumer. The first is the product. So 
you know, when I come out and play this course, how is it conditioned and is it set up so that I can have an enjoyable time? So conditioning your folks own, uh, and they're doing a great job at it. And, and one of the nice things is the superintendents for years, while we were in this downward death spiral, the superintendents have been trying to maintain that turf with less and less money every year. I mean, it was just craziness. The good thing now is, number one, we're getting more play. So that's a headache for the superintendent because you now have more wear and tear across the plant. So the superintendents are responding and saying, I'm finding ways to keep this facility operating at a, a great quality level with the higher traffic. They haven't broken me yet, but, but we're approaching some numbers where it's like, man, we're going to need to go to level two. Yeah. The second thing is, and I think you're going to go here after we get done with this question is, Rounds are one thing, but revenue is what drives the flywheel. Yeah. So the other good thing is these rounds, we're holding or increasing rate. So we are seeing revenue gains in the golf courses. And if I were a superintendent, I would be in there fighting for my share of those incremental dollars to say, hey, I've been keeping this thing put together with Band-Aids and bubble gum mm -hmm. and rubber bands for the past 20 years. We're now getting revenue growth. I need to go back and fix some things, and I need to invest more in the daily maintenance of the course because we have more traffic on it. So that's the area that your folks care about. And kind of my cliff notes is they're doing a great job. They should have more money to do that now, and they're having to invest some of that more money into sustaining a facility at a higher traffic count. All right, hold on here, because I had the pleasure of getting an email from your pal, Dr. Joe Bettitz from NGF, and it was a series yep. of articles about being recession-proof. And lo and behold, in his article, he cites your data. So one of the things that does come up in this article, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more, is what you just said about superintendents and how they've been holding it together and how they can now go for more I'm going to ask you early on in our conversation to look in the crystal ball. You think we're going to hold this? Joe seems to have projections that say we're going to grow 10% over 10 years. Now, that's not huge, but maybe anybody would take it. I, I don't know. What do you think we can expect right to the end of this? Now, we're going to get to the recession, but right to the end of it, you think we can expect this to continue? Yeah. So the first thing is the fact that NGF is citing our research and they're actually buying information from us now. I mean, that's a sign of the end of time. So. <laughs> I knew it. I had a feeling. I almost fell off my chair. I was like, wait, is this the same guy I thought Jim's been having it with for 20 years? Right. right. So for, for my Bible-bearing listeners in your group, go to Revelations, and somewhere in there it says, when NGF starts citing pellucid data, that is one of the signs of the that's, revelation. That's right. <laughs> that's so great. And so anyway, so to fill your, your listeners in, so what's happened is NGF for years has been talking about rounds and has never incorporated weather impact. They approached us about six months ago and said, look, you guys are the industry standard. We'd like to incorporate weather impact, and we came to an agreement whereby they're doing that. And now it's a much more balanced when Joe and, and NGF sends you something, Frank. It says rounds were this, and according to Pellucid, weather was this. Hence, utilization, which is what we follow, mm -hmm. is this. So mm -hmm. that's a great sign. Yeah. Um, but going back to your question about does this last, I've been wrong on this for the past two years. You know, I, I've had various side bets with people, and I've been paying them off one stink <laughs> dinner at a time. 
I really thought we would go from 433 to 493. I thought COVID would, you know, go in remission and we would give about half of those back. Mm-hmm. And I was wrong. We went from 493 to 518. So that was stake bet number one. <laughs> and then for this year, I'm basically saying I do think that we're going to give some of the 518 back. But right now, my call is like 510. So we're still well above. The 493 were well above the historical 433, so I'm just finally conceding to reality (laughs) that what happened in COVID is some permanence of behavior that, yes, I do think that we're going to get something to stick to this thing. Okay, listen, we're going to take a break, but this is Jim refuses to be happy and positive about the (laughs) golf industry, Copenhaver from Pelusa Corporation. I'm Frank Rossi. This is Frankly Speaking. We're going to take a break and come right back. Maximizing the golfing experience for your golfers must be at the forefront of every decision that a golf course superintendent makes. Spray application programs can often be challenging to fit into the golf schedule. As a result, a spray day needs to be an error-free day. Our partners at Frost Spray Technology have the latest technologies available to meet all your spray needs, and most importantly, how to make your spray day a better day. Visit them at frostserve.com. That's frostserv.com. Okay, welcome back to Frankly Speaking. I'm with Jim Copenhaver, and we broke some serious ground a few seconds ago, Jim, (laughs) when we talked about the end of the world, because NGF now is utilizing your data, and number one. And number two, apparently I needed to take on some of these steak bets, because my son's living in Chicago now, and I could use a steak dinner when I come out to visit him. But let's start with... That's good news, but, you know, you'd never let an economist think positively for too long. And, of course, now the discussion is about the pending, however it's defined, recession, right? Somehow GDP is going to decline. Somehow this is going to impact the average person. Gas prices are up. Food prices are up. All the things seem to be in place, but I'm going to bug you about an economic question first. Because I wonder about echo chambers that, you know, uh, people in the capital environment where, you know, they they rely on interest rates and they don't like being money being too expensive. But I'm wondering, are we talking ourselves into this? Job growth still seems really good. People are driving. People are flying. People are obviously playing golf. Are you convinced, first off, that we are going to have this headwind before we get into whether we're resistant or recession proof, are we even going to have it? Yeah. I'll start by saying I am not an economist by trade, but I play one on TV. I knew it. (laughs) So as I think about it, yeah, I think, I mean, the macro factors are there and these things, they don't change overnight. So my sense is as much as people want to say, well, we don't have every factor for a recession and it's really slight. The fact of the matter is you can't change some of these forces that have been set in motion here. So my opinion, and again, capital O opinion, I am not an economist, is yes, we are in a recession. It's going to be here for a while, and it's going to take a toll on the industry. That's just the fact of the matter. And we will come out the other end. Life is not going to end. So now the question becomes, okay, if you adopt Jim's approach and say, yes, we're in a recession, there is pain to come due to these forces of a set in motion, what happens to golf? 
And so, as you know, Frank, I sent you a preview. Uh, depending on when this airs, it may not even be out on the street yet. But in our latest Outside the Ropes, we took on the question, is golf recession-proof? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the only real data point that I have is to go back to the 08 recession and to look at that and to say that was defined as a 19-month recession from December of 07 to June of 09. And what I did was I basically looked at the rounds decline during that period, and I compared it back to the previous 19 months and said, you know, we basically were flat during that period. Mm -hmm. So GDP went down 5%, Mm -hmm. and golf in a round space on just one instance didn't budge. Mm -hmm. So I look at that and I say, that's very interesting to me that we're a relatively expensive pastime, Mm -hmm. and yet rounds during a fairly significant meltdown didn't change. Mm -hmm. So the net of that analysis, and again, analysis with a little a, was on a monthly basis, GDP was going down about three-tenths of a percent, and golf only declined one-tenth of a percent during the same period. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got to my headline of saying, I believe that golf is recession resistant. And so the question that begs is why? Well, think about it. I mean, we lament at times that we are not representative of the U.S. population. Golf is not generally the sport of choice for Joe Lunchbucket. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I get it. We want to be more representative of the U.S. population. We'd love our sport to appeal to people up and down the socioeconomic ladder, et cetera. But our history and the nature of the sport, maintaining the turf that your guys do, mm-hmm. you can't do that for five bucks. No. So what's actually working in our favor here, in my opinion, and Stuart actually kind of broke this, is if you look at the growth of 100K-plus households, it's going up, and it goes up regardless of recessionary times. What recessions really hit, is like the 50K and below. So we have a built-in buffer, even though we don't like the fact that we skewed higher-income households, it actually helps us in recessionary times because the people who belong to private country clubs, cutting back for them is, I'm only going to go to the club two nights a week instead of four nights of the week. Right. You know? Is it your sense that, do you like that 19-month number for this one, or is it your sense it may go deep and be short? I know you're not an economist, but you're the closest I got. I I have no clue, Frank, on that one, because you think about it. These forces are in place. Depends on what the Fed does. Depends on an election coming up. Mm -hmm. Depends on whether Congress decides that they're going to take some policy changes on we need to stop writing checks that our bodies can't cash. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just so many things here. Well, let me let's parse it out this way, then. You're right, and that's a really important point, that we do lament that we have a particular kind of person that plays golf, and that tends to be maybe part of the population that's a little more resilient in general when it comes to the recession. But I'm wondering regionally now, with the you know the end of the northern golf season, but the beginning of the desert golf season, and certainly the southern Florida golf season, will these things likely impact things differently regionally? Will the northeast be worse than the desert southwest? How do you think this might play out regionally? Yeah, I mean, inevitably, what you see, and I don't want to delve into politics here, but I mean, the state flight is a real thing. I mean, I live in Illinois. We're one of three states that lost a significant number of people last year. Why? Because people have a fixed amount of income, and they're trying to stretch it as far as they can, and they've got the government's hand in their pocket. And to the extent 
that in Illinois, their hand is in my pocket more than in Florida or Arizona, or my mom lives in Texas. Absolutely. That's driving people across the country and does have an impact on golf. You know, fortunately, we're well represented in Texas and Arizona and Florida. So my opinion is, let them go. That's so great. The politics are funny. But <laughs> so you think the flight thing is going to have an impact on the shifting of rounds. They're just going to go play golf somewhere else. Yes. And I think that that will help them hold up their frequency because, again, it's not going into politics. I pay $15,000 a year in real estate taxes in Illinois. My mom pays 2000 I know. What would I do with 13000 more dollars a year if I moved to Texas? Absolutely. Golf is going to be some part of that 13000 bucks. Okay. So that was a nice, easy equation. So recession-resistant, recession-proof. When we say recession-proof, that means we're not impacting at all. Recession-resistant means it's sort of like the weather's bad, and you lost a little bit, but you didn't lose as much as the weather should have taken out. Is it the same analogy uh, in this environment, Jim? Yeah, let me nuance that a little bit. What it's saying is recession-resistant means if the GDP goes down 5%, we won't go down 5% with it in lockstep. We'll go down something less than 5%. So it's not as much about the weather as it simply is if the general economy fails, in a math equation where something is linearly correlated, it would say if it fails 5%, I'm going to go down 5%. What my analysis says is if the GDP goes down 5%, we will not dial in a 5% reduction in rounds or a 5% reduction in revenue based on my single analysis of the 2008 recession. Okay. Now, that said, recession-proof is the PGA Tour. Right. If you look at the 08 recession period in 19 months, the purses, the economics, the reserves of the PGA Tour went up. Yes. That's recession proof right there. Right. And thanks for bringing this up because I was reading Stewart's article and going back and forth between the two that I had the pleasure of reading, like I always do for many years, the Palooza perspective, all the things that you produce outside the ropes is always very dense as well. I think I got this right, but correct me if I'm wrong. Typically, and I remember talking to Stewart about this once, TV popularity for golf goes up and it generally presides over a decline in participation. We are seeing a decline in TV watching, but an increase in participation. Do I have that right? Yeah, this is an alternate reality we're living in right now. <laughs> I know. You know, first it's the NGF buying your service, and now we see it opposite. Have we ever seen anything like this, or has there really been no way to tell because TV ratings and things maybe from way back aren't as relevant? Uh, is this really something that doesn't happen very often? It's unprecedented in the 20 years I've been following the industry. Okay. That's Jim Copenhaver. I'm Frank Rossi. This is Frankly Speaking. We'll be right back. Maintaining the playing conditions that increase player satisfaction with enhanced playability and turf performance is what my friends at the Plant Food Company are all about. You can follow them on Twitter at Plant Food Co. And there you will see the major tournaments they are involved in and how they are trusted by the best in the business. Now you can have those same products at an affordable price to meet your nutrient management needs. Learn more at plantfoodco.com. 
Welcome back to Frankly Speaking. I'm Frank Rossi. I'm with Jim Copenhaver of Pelusa Corporation. So what about the other parts of the business? I know Bennett's talks about balls and clubs, and certainly my folks are not necessarily as interested in that. But obviously that's an indicator, right? If people are playing golf courses, you know, they're going to need balls and, and generally buy equipment. Is there some sense that that part of the business will hold on as well? Or do you think that will feel the pain as if not more than the whole industry? Yeah, according to both NGF and Data Tech, who tracked that, we are doing swimmingly. I thought that what would happen with the increase in frequency is consumables, balls, gloves, shoes, would do really well. But durables, clubs, and other things, apparel possibly, would not do well. What we're seeing is they're both going up. So that says the higher frequency drives more consumption and people having more money in their pocketbook and feeling better is driving them to replace their equipment on shorter cycles. Would you recommend some courses to take the bold step, maybe to keep the participation by lowering rates? Absolutely not. We've actually been saying to our clients, if you look at this inflation thing, I mean, I work, as you know, in consumer packaged goods quite heavily. (laughs) I mean, the manufacturers are taking three price increases a year. And part of that is due to materials, labor, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But there's margin enhancement in there as well. (laughs) And I'm looking at it and I'm saying the golf industry has been very responsible and saying, oh, my gosh, should I take it up 2%? It's like everything else in the world is up 7%. Yes, take it up 2%. Yeah, because I can tell you the cost of maintaining them isn't going down. Fertilizer costs, equipment costs. We've got enormous supply chain issues, Jim, in the equipment industry. Uh, I don't think we've had as much of a problem with fertilizer, but we're about to have a huge problem with seed. And this is going to cause some big challenges and big decisions in the desert southwest. You know, how much will they overseed? Will they change some of their overseeding practices? And then, you know, comes the other part, the water debate out west and how that likely impacts it. As we wrap up, Jim, I want to ask you for a little more crystal ball stuff, right? You're looking at the recession. You know, you've been doing this for 20 years. We're in an alternate reality. Can you imagine a reality where water gets so expensive or seed got so scarce that decisions about course quality, especially in the desert southwest, less green grass, same amount of sunshine, but maybe a little less green grass because of either seed or water. Do you see this as something that potentially could impact golf overall? Yeah, I guess my sense is you bring up the right two points. Water is a number one. And we see there have been golf courses that close. As you know, you comment uh, in the perspective every month. I do the comings and goings. You know, yeah, there's, always I love those. there's always a joke about, you know, <laughs> this was a course that never should have been or something like that. We've seen 10 to 15 courses closed down because of the increase in water costs. It's just that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. So, yes, we do see that being a factor. That said, I don't see enough courses being forced to close that the remaining courses can't relatively easily absorb that demand. Mm. So I don't see necessarily there being a huge impact on rounds and participation because of water, but we will see an impact on where courses are and how expensive it is to operate them and whether they're profitable or not based on water, to your point, down there in the Colorado Basin area, Mm -hmm. Phoenix, Mm -hmm. California downstream. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
So let me get you out of here on this since you brought it up. A lot of properties are going to real estate. Why do we need a golf course here? I can put an Amazon fulfillment center like we did it here in Liverpool Country Club up in Syracuse. Yep. Why do we need this golf course? I can put 55 homes here and everybody's happy. Boy, I got this golf course and it costs all this money to maintain it and the homeowners don't even care. We should probably tax the homeowners just to keep the golf course. All of these are an array of questions. Are we still good to close a bunch because we've got enough supply to absorb the rounds that continue to grow? That would be my net take on it. As we look at it, we're no longer in supply-demand imbalance. And, you know, there was another bet that I lost. <laughs> we, were, we were saying that equilibrium is about 35,000 rounds per 18-hole equivalent, yeah. and we were floating at about 30. And going down, and I said in one of the state of the industries, I said, it'll take us years to get back to 35. <laughs> and all of a sudden, COVID comes along, and we're now at 36. <laughs> like, I'm going to okay. invite you to New York. You're going to take me to Peter Luger's. There you go. <laughs> so to answer your question, the biggest thing right now is real estate, in a lot of cases, is the highest and best use of that piece of land that's currently a golf course. That's right. And so the challenge becomes if the owner is saying, hey, I've been doing this for 30 years. It's marginally profitable. I love it, but the love is gone. We're going to see those transactions happen. I'm surprised that more of that hasn't happened so far. Uh, and part of that is you've got restrictions and covenants on that land that That's it has right. to be green space. It has to be a golf course. Right. But I guess I'm not seeing some huge rush to happen, but I think that will continue to happen. And, and yes, I do believe that the rounds being serviced by those taken out of service will easily be absorbed by the remaining courses. And, and that's really good news for those folks that are able to weather the recession that we're apparently in. Well, the challenge for the people on the call, though, is every course that goes under, that's a superintendent's job and groundskeeper. So the unfortunate thing, if this continues... As you're right, it's not bad for the industry, but for people in the agrarian field, it is something you got to keep your eye on. Yeah. Okay. Jim, it's such a pleasure chatting with you. I, I really appreciate you taking the time, and I, I really appreciate having a laugh about all these, knowing you a long time, <laughs> having these things that we can laugh about over the years that uh, indicate the alternate reality uh, has been great fun. Thanks for taking the time, and when you see our pal Stuart, you'll give him a high for me. I'll do that, and it's always a pleasure, Frank. All right. Jim Copenhaver, Pelusa Corporation, one of the thought leaders in the golf business. I'm Frank Rossi. This is Frankly Speaking. Thank you for joining me. Big thanks to my friend Jim Copenhaver of Pelucid Incorporated. Frankly Speaking is brought to you by our friends at Dryjack, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends in one pass, the plant food company providing nutrient management solutions to golf course superintendents to enhance playability, and Frost Inc. spray technology products who strive to make your spray day a great day. You can listen to us on Block Talk Radio, Apple Podcast, and Stitcher. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Frankly Speaking is produced at Rep Studios in downtown Ithaca, New York by Nate Richardson. Big thanks to marketing and business management, John Kiger. Graphic design, Nicole Rossi. Theme music, Tucker Rossi. And executive producer, Peter McCormick. I'm Frank Rossi. Thank you for joining me.